The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. Well, I'm thankful the Lord blessed Brother Braden with those thoughts. It's been an interesting week because, as y'all well know, I'm usually in the middle of a series and very structured, and my thoughts were just kind of jumbled, and I just had a lot of miscellaneous thoughts, really. And uh, hopefully we can consider some of them. Uh, but I believe those miscellaneous thoughts happen to align, I believe, very closely with what Brother Braden has delivered. Isn't it great to be reminded of the fact that Christ is such a great burden bearer that his, that his shoulders are so big, right? That's right? I mean, you talk about all of the problems of all of the billions of God's elect in this world. You know, not just our little problems in our little corner of the world, the billions of God's elect in this world and and he has strong enough shoulders to bear them even beyond what we can imagine. And that, that's just great to be reminded of. Not just that he that he has that ability though, right? Not just that he has the ability to bear those burdens, but also that he knows because he was not just the son of God, but the son of man, that he was intimately acquainted with the burdens as a man, not just as God, but as a man. And we see many of those burdens exhibited throughout his ministry, but particularly Think about Christ as the great burden bearer, no doubt on the cross, but thinking about the Garden of Gethsemane and the great burden that he was carrying right there, that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, the great burden of that. But isn't it great that Christ is our example that when you're overwhelmed with those kind of burdens, what is the appropriate response to release those burdens. Casting all your care yeah. upon him because he careth for you. And I think one of the problems I have when I pray is that I don't let go of the care when I get up off of my knees. I mean, I, I, I believe I have a desire to pray. I believe I have a desire to ask the Lord's assistance with many things. But my problem is I don't really, as one of our songs says, cast your burden on the Lord. But the real trick is leaving it there. Mm-hmm. Cast your burden on the Lord and leave it there. There's a poem that I've had in the back of my Bible for a long time. Broken dreams, author unknown. As children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God because he was my friend. But instead of leaving him in peace, To work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. Last I snatched them back and cried, how could you be so slow? My child, he said, what could I do? You never let them go. Mm -hmm. And and that that, that touched my heart 
10 years ago, and it's been in the, uh, the back of my Bible ever since, because that pretty much summarizes my prayer life. <laughs> Lord, please. And by the way, not just did Jesus pray, what did he do in prayer? He submitted to God's will in prayer Amen. in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? He submitted to God's will. Lord, please, if it's according to your will, remove this cup from me. But Lord, at the end of the day, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And um, I've been trying to think of a way to really articulate this. I've had a, a thought in my head that prayer is such a release valve. And you know how the tea, uh, when you have it on the pot and it starts whistling, uh, because there's a lot of pressure in that, in that pot. And if you don't open that valve, there's going to be problems because there's right. too much pressure building up in that, in that concentrated area. That's right. And if you don't release that valve, you're going to have problems. Mm -hmm. And you see, prayer is our release valve mm -hmm. to be able to allow that pressure to be Released. Amen. And and isn't it great that Christ set that example for us to uh, release those burdens onto the Lord, particularly by prayer? I'd like to go to Numbers chapter twenty. This was in my daily reading today, and some things that stood out in Numbers chapter twenty and twenty-one. I'd like to highlight very quickly as we go through here. Um, I feel like you probably know this story. In Numbers chapter 20, at least a portion of it, well, that uh, Moses was uh, commanded to, uh, to speak to the rock. God's people are complaining yet again, surprise, surprise, that the people chode with uh, Moses. Uh, would to God we had died uh, when our brethren died before the Lord. And why have you brought us out into the wilderness to die here and um, they're, they're turning on Moses and Aaron yet again. And then they go and they present themselves to the Lord. And then he tells Moses to speak to the rock. And then Moses gets frustrated and gets upset in the moment. Verse 10, here now, you rebels, much we fetch you water out of this rock. He knew better than that. It wasn't him. It was the Lord that was going to do it. He lifted up his hand and he smote the rock twice instead of speaking to it. Now, God was still gracious, even though Moses disobeyed him. The water still came out of the rock and thank the Lord for that. But then he tells Moses, because you believe not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. So because of this disobedience, uh, he would not enter into the promised land. But what I never really paid attention to is at the beginning of this chapter in verse 1, Moses' sister had just died, okay? Miriam, his sister, had just died. And I think that you'll see with quite a few of these instances, and I believe this connects very closely with, with the way that we approach trials and the way that we approach burdens, we have to be very careful when we are in an emotionally charged and sensitive state and environment. That's right. Okay? Because Moses, his natural tendency, what did he do uh, before he left Egypt? His natural tendency was to be a hothead. He had a temper. Now, now, now the, the wilderness, the backside of the wilderness, made him the meekest man on the face of the earth. But he still had his nature. He yeah. still had that, that hot-headed nature that 
that killed an Egyptian because they were striving with the Hebrews. He still had that hot-headed temper. And what happens when I believe he's probably still grieving a little bit over the death of his sister? And then these Israelites start hounding me again and saying that we ought to just, not, not just should we stay in Egypt, but you brought us out here to kill us. And, and he's, he's in this emotionally sensitive state. And what does he do? He lets his emotions run a little bit too hot right. in the midst of a, of a difficult situation. He disobeys the Lord. And man, look at the, uh, look at the harsh consequences of him not controlling his emotions in this sensitive state. Okay, now make your way to Numbers chapter 21. And they've just won a great battle here. Um, with uh, people, the people of the land um, in the beginning of this chapter, verse, the first three verses. And then, same story yet again, verse 4, they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And this is the phrase that, that really stood out to me. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. They were discouraged because of the way. Now continuing on, it says here that they yet again spoke against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Now, I think this is another good example of when you get... Uh, you get hungry. They literally got hangry, right? When you get hungry and you get tired and you get physically dis distraught, but then when you get discouraged, not only do you start making poor emotional decisions, but you also just start distorting reality, right. <laughs> don't you? You start distorting reality. Notice even what they say, and you don't have enough sense to realize you're distorting reality. In the exact phrase right here, for there is no bread, but our soul loatheth this Light bread. <laughs> Lord, we don't have any bread. Now, the reality is you just have taken for granted what the Lord has given you. Okay? But I want you to notice how they react when they got discouraged. When they got discouraged. Now, the rest of this is the Lord sends serpents. They bite the people. They have the, uh, the brazen serpent that's lifted up, a picture of Jesus. You go to John chapter 3 where that's referenced with Jesus speaking to Nicodemus and that beautiful picture of the Son of Man being lifted up and looking on them. Those that have life have the ability to look and then they, they receive a temporal blessing here in this life that their life is saved and redeemed because they chose to look upon the Son of God and that beautiful picture in a, in a spiritual realm. But these are God's people, figurative of all of God's elect chosen people that have been redeemed out of been redeemed out of Egypt by the blood of the Lamb, right? So these are these are children of God that have been born again, that have been redeemed by the Lamb, by the blood of the Lamb, but they got discouraged. And notice the reason they got discouraged, though, that language. They got much discouraged because of the way. They got much discouraged because of the way. At Macedonia, we've been going through the kingdom of heaven and uh, hopefully soon making our way 
considering some kingdom of heaven parables, and particularly the parable of the sower. And in the parable of the sower, I'm going to look at Mark's account of this for a minute. Um, the parable of the sower is a very important parable because he actually says here in Mark chapter 4, and uh, we'll just skip, skip in here, jump in in verse 13. Know ye not this parable, how then will you know all parables? Okay. Now, I've had this thought as I've been looking at this. This is a different uh, language and, and context, really, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 16, where he tells Peter, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he goes on to tell him that I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. What you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven and things like that. But he says, I'm giving you a key to the kingdom. And, and I've been thinking about some various keys to the kingdom. Y'all just kind of bear with me because these are almost some of the uh, kindlings that I normally have uh, for a sermon that's not yet a sermon. <laughs> and I'm just kind of giving you some of the kindling right now, not the finished product. So you just bear with me. But um, there are some very important keys to the kingdom. And I think when you talk to people that have come from a different background and from a different denomination uh, to an understanding of salvation by grace alone and what the primitive Baptists teach and what the original church teach. Primitive is original. There's the original Baptist church teaches. I think one of the most important keys to the kingdom for people that have been converted to an understanding of what primitive Baptists believe, one of the most important keys to the kingdom is an understanding that there is a salvation that is distinct and different from eternal salvation. Yeah. There is a time, temporal salvation. And you talk to so many people that when they understood that, when they understood how to rightly divide those, that was a key that Amen. unlocked so many truths in God's word and in the kingdom. And I think that this is a great example of this parable and the different, um, the different cycles, the different responses to the gospel uh, that we have in discipleship. And I say cycles because we have the, the wayside, we have the stony ground, we have the thorny ground and the good ground. And then in the good ground, you've got 30, 60, 100 fold. And sometimes we go through cycles of we're in the good ground for a little bit. We're bearing good fruit. But man, them thorns start coming back up. Yeah. I'll tell you. And we're, we're in this cycle, fluctuating to a degree. I certainly hope, I don't believe anyone. No, no one's here this evening is a wayside person. But I hope you don't become a stony ground person. But many of us are cycling between varying degrees of fruitfulness in the good ground and struggling with those thorns, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, those, those challenges that we have here in this world, those burdens that we have here in this world, that what do they do? They want to quench and choke out our fruitfulness in the kingdom. And I think one of the reasons why the parable of the sower is so important to understand is because there's this teaching out there that's becoming so prevalent in Christianity that Every child of God will follow the exact same trajectory. Every child of God will meet this bare minimum external display 
of good works. Now understand, every child of God will know the Lord from the least to the greatest. Right. Every child of God will bear fruit of the Spirit. But to say that they will all exhibit that in the exact same way sure. externally, otherwise if you don't meet that bar, you're a false professor. No. I'll tell you, the last thing that a child of God needs to hear when they're getting discouraged by the way, <laughs> right? The last thing they need to hear is, you know what? You're probably just a false professor. Yeah. You probably were never born again to start with. If you're slipping and you're struggling, a significant tone in Christianity says that that means you're not really a child of God anyway. <laughs> no, what you need when you're being discouraged by the way is for someone to tell you the gospel of sovereign grace, yeah. but also to encourage you that God is there to strengthen you in the midst of those inevitable Inevitable challenges. In this world, we shall have tribulation. Okay? So there are varying degrees of fruitfulness among God's people. There are varying degrees of ways that we have the opportunity to lay hold on eternal life. And there's the children of God, and boy, they've got a firm grasp on it. I'll tell you, I want to get a, a more firm grasp on eternal life. But there's some children of God that they don't have a firm hold on eternal life because they, because of many, many times because of the doctrine that they hear, they're doubting if they're really even a child of God or not. They're not laying hold on eternal life because somebody's telling them you may not even have it. <laughs> because they're struggling. Yeah. Because they're getting discouraged. And you know what? I'll tell you, you read some of those things those Israelites said in the Old Testament. Yeah. That's borderline blasphemous. You, you think a child of God can't, can't say some things that, that is disrespectful to his Lord? I'll tell you, those Israelites many times were blaspheming the name of God. But this stony grand person, though, Mark chapter 4, verse 16. Now, one good thing about the parable of the sower is that he tells you the parable and then he explains it. Right. He didn't always do that. But this one he does. This one he explains it. All right. So the stony ground, verse 16, these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have received, or when they have heard the word, they immediately receive it with gladness. First of all, they hear the word. Only a child of God can hear the word. You have to have ears to hear it says here they receive it with gladness. In other places it says they receive it with joy. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. There's just no way. You have to rest the Scriptures to try to make this person under joy. Right. Okay? Amen. You just have to rest the Scriptures. But this is a child of God that, boy, they get happy when they yeah. hear the gospel. They get happy. But the problem is they shoot up very quickly. They're not... Um, the stable, strong Christian from Psalm chapter 1 who meditates in the day of the Lord day and night. And then he's a, as a tree planted by the rivers of the water. They have deep, strong roots. And when you have those deep, strong roots, you can withstand some heavy winds. But what happens when you don't have any roots? You get toppled over very quickly. Okay? It says in verse 17, they have no root in themselves. So they endure for a time. They endure for a time, but afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So they are seeing that I'm living in a way that is contrary 
to God's word. I'm going to apply that. I'm going to forsake. It says there in Psalm chapter 1. You don't walk in the way of sinners. You don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Well, if you've been sitting and hanging out with sinners and scornful and all of them, there's going to be some challenges when you remove yourself from that environment. There's going to be some challenges in implementing the That's word. Right. Amen. There's going to be some challenges in the way. There's going to be some failures too. Okay. You know, there's a reason why. Let's talk about children of God. In Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, look, broad is the way that leads to destruction and many are going to go in there. But only a few. You think there's only going to be a few people in heaven? <laughs> you know better than that. No. It's an innumerable host which no man can number. But the narrow way and the straight gate of discipleship is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And there are some people that are going to be discouraged and they're going to flake off. Now we hope, we hope, if you become a stony ground person, <laughs> we hope that you become like the prodigal son and feel that strong conviction down in the pig pen and then you come back. You know, you can be a stony ground person for a period and then the, the Spirit of God can convict you to come back and you can be very fruitful in the kingdom in the future. But... It is so unfortunately prevalent. Why? Because Satan, we see from the, especially the wayside, because Satan is coming after God's children so vehemently. Amen. And he is, you see the child of God that is applying the word of God in their life and now they're enduring this conflict and what is Satan going to do? He's going to double down. Why? Because they're going to be emotionally charged, right? Going back to what we said before, they're going to be uh, afraid of these changes. There, there's probably going to be some broken relationships that are going to cause them a great deal of sadness. And those are the type of pressure points that Satan wants to capitalize on. Okay? But I want you to notice, it's not just that they are just randomly having problems. I mean, that, there's a natural disposition of tribulation and problems that we have in this world. These stony ground people, though, they are applying the word. They are pressing into the gate. They are pressing into the narrow way of discipleship. But, just like the Israelites, they get discouraged because of the way. They get discouraged because of the way. Now, what's the remedy? What's the remedy for that discouragement? Well, you notice the language there, discouragement. That means you're losing courage. Well, what do you need? You need encouragement, right? Uh, I really appreciated the Lord laying it on Brother Marty Smith's heart at Sulphur Springs meeting to preach on courage. And I've been meaning to go back and listen to that. Uh, I really would love to study that out more and, and bring a few messages on that uh, about he went. I would encourage you to go check that out yourself because he went through many different places in Scripture where they are commanded to take courage. Mm -hmm. You know, you lay, just like we said earlier, you lay hold on eternal life. Well, lay hold on courage. <laughs> and Jesus is certainly the pattern of courage. How do you lay hold on courage? Lay hold on Christ, right? Lay hold on Christ. 
But I think the, the ultimate example of that, the ultimate example of that, which, which I know uh, Brother Marty addressed in his message as well, is in 1 Samuel chapter 30, in this account here, uh, that Brother Braden has already mentioned King David. And actually, if you have, uh, uh, he was reading there in um, Psalm 56, and if you have a Bible that has the, uh, the notes prior to the beginning of the chapter, the context of that in Psalm 56 is to the chief musician of David when the Philistines took him in Gath. All right, so he didn't, he didn't just have just the general disposition of burdens. No, he was literally a captive yes. of the enemies. And remember, he's the one who killed Goliath. He killed their champion. And now he's captive of the Philistines in Gath. You know, I think that gives a lot more context. You know, he's not just saying in general, what time I am afraid. No, he's saying, Lord, I'm afraid right now. I'm terrified these Philistines are going to kill me, right? I killed Goliath. They've been waiting all these years for revenge. What time? A time I am afraid. That's not a, a just general uh, concept. Uh, he was afraid of losing his life. Yes, amen. And by the way, doesn't fear, doesn't fear affect your emotions to where you start making bad decisions too. Uh, and, and this is just a simple example. There are many more in Scripture. But think about Peter uh, when he was there on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and then he makes the foolish statement, oh, we're going to build, uh, let's build one temple for Elias and one for Moses and one for you. You want to know why he said that? Because he said he got afraid. He, he got scared. And then the last thing you want to do is start, especially Peter, <laughs> is start shooting off at the mouth when you get afraid. <laughs> It may be a good idea to, especially then, be a little slow to speak, slow to wrath, yeah. <laughs> and swift to hear when you get a little emotionally charged and when you get afraid, okay? Okay, First Samuel chapter 30, and in this account here, the, uh, I believe it's the Amalekites here, they, they, they invaded them and they take their wives captive and they wept. Verse 4, David, I mean, David wasn't, not affected by this, David and his men wept until they had no more power to weep. I mean, they didn't have any more tears left. And then, uh, and then, not only was he sad personally, his two wives had been taken. Everybody else is upset. We're all crying together. And then all of a sudden, the people turned on him and said, the people spake of stoning David. <laughs> I mean, he's upset himself. He's crying his eyes out himself. And then all of a sudden, the people turn on you and say, you know what, let's kill David. I understand why Moses, by the way, why he was always upset with those Israelites. Because they were always blaming him for all their problems. Right. <laughs> and David's right here in the exact same boat. You know, I'm just as sad as y'all are. Hey, let's go kill David. <laughs> let's stone David. And then this, this beautiful, simple little statement here at the end of this, uh, this verse in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and in verse 6. When no doubt he was bearing those, those heavy, heavy burdens. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And I'll tell you, that's where your encouragement is going to come from, right? It's going to come from the Lord. Now, there are a lot of challenges. <clears throat> There's a lot of difficulty in pressing into that straight gate. There are. But what you gain in that is a such greater 
sweeter, more intimate fellowship with the Lord, that that makes all of those sufferings worth every bit of it, okay? So when you get discouraged by the way, when you get discouraged by the way, don't forget that you pressing into that way, you pressing into the kingdom and pressing into that narrow way and the straight gate, that will gain you closer fellowship with Jesus who is the only source of your encouragement anyway. You, if you're discouraged in the way, I'll tell you the last way that, that things are going to get better is by you backing away and falling away from Christ and from the kingdom and from the church. You don't know the only way you're going to get encouraged is not by going backward. Amen. It's by getting closer to Christ who is the true source of all of your encouragement, right? So uh, it's very easy for God's children to get so discouraged. And I'll tell you, it is very discouraging to, to me as a preacher of the gospel that there's this narrative that's so prevalent in Christianity that says, if you are discouraged, you know what? You're probably a false professor. If you don't get right with the Lord, you're probably going to go to hell. <laughs> that is the last thing that a discouraged child of God needs to hear. What do they need to hear? Go and encourage yourself in the Lord, your God. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, there is not anyone that is having that kind of a struggle that's an unregenerate person that has a carnal mind that is enmity with God. Because I'll tell you, the, the carnal mind, they're not having those kind of thoughts. They, they, their mind is a natural enmity with God. They're not saying, oh, I'm so discouraged in the way. The only reason you're pressing into the way is because you have that zeal that God has given you. So, so the idea that you're discouraged, so that means you're probably a false professor. If you don't get right with the Lord, you're probably going to go to hell. And then that, that sounds really bad in the free will Arminian stance. Well, you don't know what's even worse? The Calvinist stance that says, well, you know what? If you're doing that, you don't even have the opportunity to get right with the Lord because it's not your choice anyway. You probably just missed the boat and God didn't choose you before the world began. I mean, at least an Arminian, you can, get, you can make it up. <laughs> I mean, you know, a free will. Hey, hey, man, I, I'm, not, I'm struggling. God doesn't love me right now. Well, at least I have the option to go to heaven. Well, it's really bad to hear that mess from a Calvinist, isn't it? It says you're struggling. You're a false professor. What can I do about it? Well, nothing. God didn't choose you, and you and you being struggling, and your your discouragement is just evidence that God doesn't God don't love you anyway. Are are we glad to have the gospel? Are we glad to have the gospel of salvation by grace alone? And boy, it sure encourages us in the midst of the way, doesn't it? We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.